Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1194, with guest Troy Hunt. Recorded Friday, September 4th, 2015. I hate holding my breath that long. <laughs> That's because you don't know how long five seconds is? I know, yeah. What's up, man? Uh, you know, uh, in, in an interesting place with Humanitarian Toolbox. Tell me. Yeah, well, we've, uh, they, we came out of the hackathon at that conference in August, mm -hmm. and we learned something. We learned that there's a way to organize work items in GitHub that make it way easier for people to pick things up. You don't intimidate the list and so forth. So for a couple of our projects, for already and for the check-in, the project leads have really taken the cues from that. And you can go on to GitHub and absolutely see what our plans are. We've set up milestones. We've organized the work items. So it's it's super easy to see based on what skills you've got, where you can have the most difference. Wow. So I'm, I'm amazing, amazed at the difference that, that makes. We're getting regular check-ins all the time now on these projects just because we've made it easy for people to contribute. That's awesome, Richard. Yeah, I love it. So uh, if you want to be part of the, the game, we'd love to have you helping out. Uh, go to github.com slash htbox, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, we uh, have a lot of software we need to get written. Uh, a lot of conferences coming up, conference season happening here. Uh, none the least of which is Dev Intersection in Vegas. Yep, that's the big one. And uh, already a whole lot of people signed up. Yeah, people registering fast. You know, they, this it, we're at a place now with that show where people were yelling at us to open registration mm. in springtime, early spring for the mm. fall, which was uh, interesting for us. So that's a good problem to have, but uh, definitely uh, Reg is going well. We've uh, expanded the show. So not only the whole angle bracket side, open web and Visual Studio, mm -hmm. SharePoint and SQL Server, mm -hmm. but IT Edge Intersection, we're adding in uh, security, Windows topics, uh, a lot of DevOps related content as well. The, the, a bunch of the Windows teams, including freshly minted technical fellow Jeffrey Snover will wow, be there. Wow, that's great. Yeah, he's been made a tech fellow finally and long overdue, I might add. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess if you say that you heard about it on .NET Rocks, you get $50 off. Absolutely. Just uh, yeah. use that registration code, .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is a registration code. Well, I can't wait. Vegas is always fun. And then uh, let's roll the music. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, you know, I had to go looking for a hack because they happen. Not a Phil hack. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know where he is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't have to look for him. But I did find out that just about an hour before this recording, Mozilla's Bugzilla got hacked. Really? Exposing Firefox zero days. 
And if you go to tinyurl.com slash bugzhack, bu- you know, B-U-G-Z hack, this is a story by Sean Michael Kerner. And so what happened was Mozilla admitted, and I'm reading right here, Mozilla admitted today that its Bugzilla bug tracking system was breached by an attacker who was then able to get access to information about unpatched zero-day bugs. 185 bugs oh, man. access that were non-public. Of those, Mozilla considered 53 to be severe vulnerabilities. That said, Mozilla claims that 43 of the severe flaws had already been patched in the Firefox browser by the time the attacker accessed the bug information. But they don't know when it happened. It could have been as far back as September 2013. And what a smart hack to go after a tool that other people use to find those exploits so that you can take advantage of them. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, you know. It's evil smart. I don't, yeah, I don't like it when the bad guys get smarter. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I just thought I'd start to show off with the right tone. You're just trying to create some darkness, huh? (laughs) Mr. Hunt's here to spread the love. Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Nice choice of words, given the topic. All right. (laughs) Very good. So, that's what I got today. Little story. Check it out. Very interesting. Yeah. All right, Richard, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 1157, one we did with Sir Troy Hunt. Well, he's not a Sir yet, but one of these days. One of these days. Clearly headed in that direction. He is, you know, still part of the British Empire, sort of, I guess, Australia is. (laughs) Uh, And uh, that was what we did at NDC, which is always fun to get to talk about that stuff in person. I think we ended up talking mostly about SQL injection attacks and Mm -hmm. uh, alternative security choices stuff. And Phil Marshall had this great comment. He said, while it was not a big part of this episode, I have a fear of widespread adoption of biometrics. The advantages of biometrics is that you don't have to type anything. It's very convenient. But how secure is it? And of course, immediately think, well, what are they going to do? Cut off my thumb? But the issue that Phil gets into is a real good one. Take the example of Subway or Apple or Microsoft reading my biometrics in an effort to make authentication easier. I like the Subway choice first. So Subway starts taking your thumbprint or something for your, you know, Subway free subcard, right? Now they've, and just to chime in here, they've actually improved that process. Now they can tell that there's an actual living pulsing blood vessels behind the right. fingerprint. So stop cutting off thumbs. Yeah. Okay. It's not going to work. <laughs> was that happening? I don't think that was happening. Uh, only in movies. Right. What if they store them badly or lose control of them in transport like passwords are today and one day my biometrics data is compromised? There's an interesting thought. With physical access to me, it can be skimmed without my knowledge and sold on the black market to anyone in the world, thus turning it from the promise of something you are into something they know which can then be copied without your knowledge the same way as credit cards are being skimmed. Those credentials can then be spoofed on a poor or untrusted server, and this is just as bad as using the same password across all the websites in the world. Even worse, it's a password you can't change. There's no research feature for my fingerprint. Well, there are, but you're not going to like it. Uh, I can't embed strong encryption in my finger either. Once that data is out there, it can no longer be trusted and used for identification and authorization. And we're basically back to square one. Well, actually, square zero, because you're kind of down one. You've now lost a security element. Am I just being paranoid? Are they out to get me or aren't they? (laughs) You know, since he made that comment, there was a piece in the news, actually, about a month ago Mm -hmm. about, and I look at the headline here, HTC caught storing fingerprints as world-readable clear text on their devices. So awesome. how about that? Bad storage of fingerprints. Now your fingerprints are owned. Now you need to reset your fingers, which, as you say, is kind of painful. Yeah. Well, 
and I've, you responded to this, this is a couple of months ago as well, which I thought were very coherent uh, element, which was, you know, the, the biometrics overcome certain problems with things that other people can easily recreate. The, the talented bad guys can often find workarounds, but they were already doing that anyway. Um, it is going to be in, there is, but there is this interesting conversation about how you, how and when you use biometric data. Like, do you only want to use biometrics when you're confident of the storage source of who's actually handling it? Not that anybody should be storing your biometric data at all. That's the ultimate in hashable data. Yeah. So I think Phil's a little on the paranoid side. We're generally getting better at security, although just because he's paranoid Troy, doesn't mean they're not out to get him. It does not mean they're out to get you. I think <laughs> that's what Troy basically opened with. Of course, they're out to get you. <laughs> of course, they are. <laughs> uh, and then, and Phil's comment ended with, uh, "There's a rumor of NDC coming to Australia." It is a rumor. It is a rumor. Well, if you were at NDC in Oslo, it was a huge sign, actually, right, right. not a rumor. And a, and a surfboard. Yes, yeah. and a surfboard and all that silly. We were all there. That's so when we're this- trying to make that happen. That's, yeah. that's where we can, that's what we can say right now. Yeah, that stuff's clearly going on. I don't know that any dates are actually out in the wild yet, but it's, it's underway. Uh, Phil, thanks so much for your comment. Uh, great food for thought and, and fodder for our further conversations. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETRocks.com or via any of the social media we post. We put every show up on Facebook and Google+. You can comment there. And if we read your comment, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, we're Twitterable. Richard tweets at Rich Campbell, and I'm at Carl Franklin. And, of course, we read all our tweets, and sometimes we even respond. Um, before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, such as Troy Hunt. They release dozens of new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, of course, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything, everything Microsoft, and lots of security stuff by Troy Hunt. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings me to Troy's bio. Troy uh, practically needs no introduction, but I will introduce him anyway. He is a Pluralsight author, of course, a Microsoft MVP and world-renowned internet security specialist. He spends his time teaching developers how to break into their own systems before helping to piece them back together to be secure against today's online threats. He's also the creator of Have I Been Pwned, the free online service for breach monitoring and notifications. Troy regularly blogs at TroyHunt.com from his home down under. Welcome, Troy. G'day, guys. Good to be back. Great to have you. And uh, hey, while we're all talking about Australia and NDC, the, the dates are published. It's one to five in August next year, which is uh, our winter, which is basically like summer everywhere else, a good summer's day <laughs> everywhere else. Uh, and the registrations are open too. So come down under and see us. Wow, it's in full swing then. That's, That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. NDCSydney.com. And there is another rumor that Richard and I might be going there sometime to do something with you, but uh, before NDC. That's that's the rumor I thought he was talking about. And that is only a rumor. <laughs> At this point. At this point. <laughs> I love those rumors. Yeah, those rumors <laughs> are the great. best kind of rumor. We're going to try to get down there. <laughs> so um, what do you think of, first of all, what do you think about uh, Bugzilla? Yeah, that's unfortunate, isn't it? It's um, 
I don't know. It's, it's like just about nothing surprises me anymore. Just yeah. about nothing surprises me. It's like you say. It's it's a good target if you want to if you want to sort of have a, a broad reaching impact. If you can break into the bug system that contains the information about the vulnerabilities that you can then go and exploit. Well, you know that is a that's a pretty handy thing, right? That's some next level thinking. That's it what is. that is. Yeah. Well, Ashley Madison, something that we know a lot about, um, the the hack with Ashley Madison. It's in the news everywhere. Do we actually know anything? Well, we know that the, the files are available. You can download all the data. They made the database available to the public. So, yeah, no, we, we do know a huge amount. That's the thing, because we, we do have the data that there's other things that we don't know that we're speculating about, though. Mm-hmm. Like? Uh, like who did it? <laughs> I mean, this is, the, this is the big question, right? So, um, and and this is the funny thing because that that aspect of it, the attribution side of it, has almost kind of been put to the side a little bit as we have just been drowned out by the noise of this event. And we, I mean, we've been drowned out through the mainstream media nonstop. It's in you know every newspaper, all over the TVs. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident in saying there has never been a security event that has made this much noise across this sort of breadth of people. Well, how many different television programs have you been on now, my friend? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know what happened as well? This, this whole thing blew up while I was away on a snowboarding holiday with my family. And I got halfway through the holiday and it's like, oh, man, I, like, I've got I, I to still get involved in this thing. And, you know, I'm doing interviews with like CNN first thing in the morning and, and they're saying, hey, could you just, just turn your camera on? And so I haven't shaved in two weeks. I'm wearing a beanie. I mean, I look like a hacker. <laughs> you look like it you was, did it. <laughs> it's like it wasn't me. It, I'm just going snowboarding, honestly. Um, <laughs> so that, that was not my, my most professional look. Uh, yeah, there we go. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just every media outlet has been on it. William Barry on Twitter asked this pertinent question. I couldn't have said it better myself. Can you speak to the ethics of the security researchers that released the information or those helping the victims? So did this, was the database released by security researchers? Well, this is the attribution thing again. We, we don't know who released it, but I, I can pretty confidently say it's not someone that we would normally class as a security researcher. All right. At least, uh, uh, look, okay, the guy probably did some research and obviously mm. knows a bit about security. I'm not sure that that actually classifies them as this thing that we normally think of as being quite ethical. Yeah. So, that, you know, that there are no two ways of, of putting it. It was a, a serious criminal act that uh, if they catch uh, the guy, and I'm assuming it's a guy, and I'm assuming it's probably an individual, uh, they're going to go away for a very, very long time. Now, I want to bring up something related to this, which I thought was the most, it made me jump. You've been running, uh, I've been pwned for a while now, and every time there's a breach like this with that kind of data, you put that data into I've been pwned so that you give us a service, essentially. I can go in, type an email address in, and you'll show me all the places where that email address has appeared. And you chose not to do that with Ashley Madison. So well, talk I, to I, me about I, this. Yeah, I chose to do it differently. So if we look at the chronology of this, it was late July that we heard news about Ashley Madison being breached. And at the time, the attackers said, uh, we've broken into your things. Here's evidence of it. And they did actually have uh, evidence which which was uh, clearly not, not manufactured. They actually had payment records that individuals confirmed. And they said, if you don't shut your service down, we're going to publish everything. 
And then that was it, and they went very quiet. And the, there's always sort of a bit of me that goes, this is, this is pretty neat, right? I mean, they, they didn't sort of jump around like lunatics for the next month or anything like that. They basically did exactly what they said they were going to do. And they didn't, this wasn't a ransom per se. They weren't asking for money. They were literally saying, shut your business down. Shut it down. And, and clearly, Avid Life Media were never going to shut it down. I mean, these guys were making $100 bucks a year out of the service. I mean, right. it was a and, lucrative service. And also quite bogus right i mean it turns out that the service was really bogus based on well stuff that yeah. does pe- and people that don't exist right so so we'll come to that <laughs> to uh to, because it is, it is actually a really interesting point it's almost but like a which, vigilante story <laughs> depending on how you look at it but i guess to, to richard's point about what i did with the data because i had this lead time between hearing that it was going to be released and you know i mean we never knew if it would or not uh but when it actually got released i had time to think about it and i went look this is this is just not the kind of data that should be publicly searchable because it is going to have such a significant impact on people's lives sure so i wrote something up in advance and i said look if if this gets released what i'm going to do is you're only going to be able to find if you're in there if you can verify your email address so effectively using the verification system I already have and you would uh, sign up and say, look, I want to get notified if I appear in the future. And by the way, once you verify your email address, this is whether or not you're in Ashley Madison. Got it. So I made that call early on and I managed to get a lot of community feedback that was very supportive of that. So when the incident happened, uh, that was what I did. All the data is still in there. There's 30 odd million records. You're just making sure that the right people get it. That's it. That's it. And, and what's interesting is when this whole thing did actually blow up, seeing some of the sites that made either your presence uh, publicly searchable in a, in a very Boolean fashion, you know, yes, you're in there, no, you weren't. And also seeing the sites that just went, yeah, you're in there, uh, or someone else who you just searched for is in there, and here is everything. So here is their eye color, their sexual preferences, you, you know, like the whole lot. And, you know, those guys got everything from DMCA takedowns from Avid Life Media, the owners of Ashley Madison, uh, through to obviously getting an absolute hammering uh, online for for unethical, irresponsible behavior. And it it also set off this whole chain of crime and of blackmail crime, right? I mean, uh, a whole bunch of people are are paying Bitcoin ransoms to, I mean, whether they're scammers or not, somebody basically, you know. Oh, they're scammers. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no argument there. Uh, so there were a lot of uh, ransom messages that went around because, you know, you, you think about it, you've, you've got 30 million email addresses and there are about 30 million uniques. There's about 37 rows or 37 million rows altogether, mm. but only about 30, only <laughs> 30 million uniques. So you've got 30 million email addresses of people that were in a service which is clearly very sensitive. Mm. If you fire out emails to all of those, and if you've got yourself a little botnet or something, that's not going to be too hard to do, and you tell all of them, give me some Bitcoin or I'm going to tell your wife, and you get a fraction of 1% that that actually give you some Bitcoin, you're probably going to do pretty well out of 30 million people. And that's effectively what's happened. So I'm looking at the... There's a couple of things that really hit me about this particular breach. One is... Hackers destroyed a multi-million dollar company. I mean, Ashley Madison is over. One would argue it's a repugnant business that was a lie anyway, but that's the ends justifying the means. Correct. The bottom line is a group of hackers destroyed this company. It's done. And it could be done to, well, I don't anybody. know about anybody, but 
certainly those who uh, are leaving themselves vulnerable to that kind of thing. How, how vulnerable were they security-wise? Does anybody know if it was inside jo- an inside job or was it uh, externally breached? Well, this is sort of the paradox of it. So, so to the question of how vulnerable were they, you know, they've, they've gone and dumped all the source code. That was one of the things that came out in the breach. So we, we've been able to trawl through that. One of the things we, we found, actually, which, uh, which I was kind of impressed with, is their password storage. So normally uh, an organization gets hacked, uh, everything gets dumped, and then you look at it and go, oh, man, they're like MD5-ing the passwords, and that's it. It's just a weak hashing algorithm with no salt, and it's easily cracked. Hmm. And it's, it's something along those lines, if not just plain text. And actually, Madison actually had all the passwords stored as bcrypt, uh, so that a, a good modern-day adaptive hashing algorithm with a high workload. And what it means is that for all intents and purposes, that the passwords, unless you have something really, really terrible, are just about uncrackable. And, and we have not seen that before. And unfortunately, that story is actually a, a positive thing, and it's just been lost in amongst all the other drama. Hmm. And, and, of course, for individuals, individuals aren't going, it's like my wife has left me, I'll never see my kids again, but good news, my password is not going to be cracked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's kind of gotten lost. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you're, you're, what you're saying is that it was fairly secure from the outside? Or, or, or were you just bringing up passwords as a side story? Yes and no. So, you know, the, the passwords were, were one indicator that things were done quite well. Another thing that was a little bit interesting, I, I wrote about this after the first news, uh, often what happens with these sites, and it was the same with Adult Friend Finder as well, which also got uh, hacked back in May, is that uh, they'll talk about discretion. So, you know, you come on here, no one will know you're there, it's all secret, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then you go to the password reset page, you put in someone's email address and it says, hey, this uh, a password uh, or rather reset has just been emailed to you. Mm. And, th- and then you put in a-, a random email address and it says this account doesn't exist. So it actually discloses the presence. Now, right. what was interesting with regards to quality and security for Ashley Madison is they were giving you the same message. So they were saying, uh, basically, if this account exists, we'll send you an email. Which, which is actually a, a pretty well thought out thing to do. Sure. Now, what was not so well thought out is that there were semantic differences in the HTML markup depending on whether the account existed or not. Oh. So, so, so there was a little tell in there. And I, I guess the, the, the relevance to quality is that clearly someone was aware of this and had tried to uh, protect against what is effectively an enumeration risk but just hadn't got it quite right. When I wrote about it, they fixed it pretty quickly. And, uh, and for some reason, they still kept the little icon on the front page, which said 100% discreet. It's actually still there today, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. The Ashley Madison website is still running. No, not only is it still running, but it is like they've just stuck the fingers in the ears and gone la, 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 and just completely proceeded. We've still got all the icons about security and everything else. Mm. There's no notifications. Uh, they've had very, very few media releases. One of the media releases was about, uh, good news, your credit cards are okay. <laughs> and again, I think these, these poor, uh, I shouldn't laugh about it, but these, these poor guys. That's an amazing like, positive spin. Yeah, serious. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, but well, you know who the message is to. It's not to the consumers. That message is to the banks because right. they want to keep their PCI certification. So, you know, that, that is another just com- completely bizarre thing, the communication. 
So, but we don't actually know how they broke in. I mean, in some ways, it sounds like the Adobe hack in that the, the stuff that they put extra security on was, was fine, right? You never got your passwords disclosed from Adobe. You got all the plain stuff done. So they did an overall breach and got a full dump of the data, but you didn't get your password leaked. Yeah, so the, the unfortunate thing with Adobe is you got the password hints in clear text leaked. Right. Uh, and and you, you got uh, badly encrypted, not even hashed, but badly encrypted passwords in Adobe. The, the interesting thing with uh, Ashley Madison is that the classes of data that have been leaked. So if it was just the database, you could say, well, maybe it was a SQL injection attack, for example. Right. But it was the database. It was internal documents. It was payment files in CSV format. It was then uh, the source code, a whole bunch of Git repositories of various assets, and it was the CEO's emails. Now, you're not SQL injecting the CEO's no. emails. Now, out this of the sounds system, like an inside you know? job. Well, it certainly sounds like inside access, and, and an inside job would be mm. one way of doing it. And, you know, funnily enough, someone said to me the other day, well, look, even if it was an inside job, surely they would notice uh, tens and tens of gigabytes uh, going out through the door. And, and, of course, they meant metaphorically, but you know, would you notice it literally going out the door on a USB? No. No. Mm. It's tiny. But the fact that it, the kind, that it's, a, uh, it's not all data, it's ca- different kinds of data, what do you think their goal was? Do you think their goal was really to show this ca- company as a sham? Well, it's it's interesting. I, I I would confidently say that their goal was to do the organisation serious damage and and all the other consequences be damned because there are some serious consequences on the individuals. Yes. But clearly, that they wanted to inflict damage on the organisation. The original message that the attackers released in July was was a little bit a, a little bit sort of counterintuitive because on the one hand they're saying uh, one of their complaints was Ashley Madison was charging people about twenty bucks for this full delete service. So if you, let's say you signed up uh, in the midst of a a drunken rampage one night because you thought it was a good idea and then you went, hey, this is actually a really bad idea and you wanted to, quote unquote, permanently remove your data, you had to pay them money. And people were doing that and apparently they made about 1.7 million bucks out of that. Wow. But the, the, the point the attackers were making was, yes, they zeroed out the records or rather they zeroed out the identifying data in the database and of course we can now see that uh, some information was left, but the identifying stuff was was effectively just replaced with uh, text saying it was deleted. Uh, but <laughs> because you are paying for the service, they stored the payment records with your name and your email address uh-huh. and an identifier <laughs> back to the original record. Because that would be PCI compliant, right? Oh. Well, this is There's the so thing. There's so much good PCI news. <laughs> it, it didn't have the full card stored in a plain text format. I only had the last four digits, uh, which, of course, is what you use for identity verification with other services. Oh, Just man. give me the last four digits of your credit card, and, and then we'll know that it's you. This is all good news. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the bad news? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the other thought that I've had in this on this particular topic is that in the end, this is a this is a disclosure of private information. However repugnant, a private uh, this is the same as the fappening, right? As when the iCloud got hacked and people's and particularly celebrities' private photos got distributed on the internet. This is essentially the same thing. So I think the thing that people need to keep in mind, and and we, we've sort of 
touched on, you know, re repugnant and ethics and morality and all that sort of thing. But I've tried very, very hard to, to keep these two things as, as separate boxes, if you like. So, so right. one is my own view on it, and I'm probably consistent with most people where I don't think the idea of a website encouraging affairs is a good thing. Uh, it's, it's not something that uh, myself and probably most people would be very interested in. However, there is this other part of it, which is from a, a pure technology perspective, you expect to have privacy on right. these sites. You expect to have discretion. People had the right to privacy Yes. And they certainly didn't have the right to have all their, their dirty laundry aired in public. And regardless of how you feel about uh, what effectively came down to adultery for many people, you know, th this is not something that should be a public discussion, not on an individual basis. But it is a public website. And, you know, that it brings back the old saying that Richard and I come back to time and time again, which is anything that goes out over the Internet is you've got to consider it public, whether it's a Facebook well, message, an email you know, it's public stuff. I think this will be the, the, the use case, if you like, for a very long time uh, to support that position. Yep. And it, it's just interesting seeing the assumptions that people made about their privacy online. So right. after I started publishing data on this, I've, I've had literally thousands of emails from people often giving me their life stories and, and, and surprisingly often justifying their presence on the site. So I've got some really interesting stories from that. But, but one of the things that, that continues to stand out is the number of people that used clearly identifiable information. So use their primary email address, use their work email address, certainly use their real names, you know, used le legitimate info because they proceeded on the assumption of privacy. And, and, and I can... I feel sympathetic about that as much as I know that that's not the case, that you can expect privacy, because sites like Ashley Madison put so much hard work into telling people that they'd have discretion, and yeah. people believe them. Like I said, it's all good news. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. <laughs> you know it. It's time to reset my password on click to win a date with a less than reputable member of the opposite sex of a random species dot com. <laughs> I sent an email to do not reply at click to win a date with a less than reputable member of the opposite sex of a random species dot com. And I got back a nasty message. That was completely unnecessary. <laughs> that is so weird. I know. It's actually time to give away a $100 credit for raygun.io. But first... Let me tell you that Raygun has launched Pulse, a real user monitoring product that gives you real-time performance data and user insights, letting you understand exactly what's happening when users interact with your software. Never be left guessing. Raygun provides you with answers to your performance questions. Having found over 10 billion bugs in customer apps with their crash reporting product, Raygun now lets you understand application quality like no one else. Over 30,000 developers worldwide can't be wrong. Try it out today with a no-risk 30-day free trial and start improving your software quality immediately. And visit raygun.io slash netrocks and receive a $100 free account credit on any new Raygun plan with this great offer. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Paul Breen. Congratulations, Paul. Congratulations. Golf, Golf clap, clap for, for you, you sir. sir. And Paul just won a hundred dollar credit from Raygun at Raygun.io. Uh, great sponsor of ours. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big "Get Free Stuff" button, 
answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. Troy, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, mm. what would you buy? So I asked for suggestions on Twitter just before I came online, and I'm going to tell you what someone said, and then I'm going to tell you what I'd actually really ask. Um, so I, I learned a bit of a new term, actually. Someone said, uh, get teledildonics. And I'm not going to explain what this is online. <laughs> Never mind. But, uh, I can pretty much figure it out. Obviously, uh, obviously Richard knows. It, it, let, let us just say it is consistent with the story of today. So go and Google that, Google that separately. Um, uh, not, what at, work, what not, not at work. Not at work. Um, if, if we, if, if you've learned nothing else today, do not do these things at work. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not quite sure exactly what you get for five grand there, oh. but mo- moving on. So it what, better you know be what magical. I <laughs> what I would actually like, um, I was just complaining to Carl when we we're getting started that, uh, that my bandwidth here is just terrible and I have no idea what is actually using my connection or if it is my ISP. And I've realized that the the routers I have here in my home are like a, a decade old. And I, I then thought, when did I actually last update the firmware on them? And, you know, maybe I should see if there's an update. No, there's, an up, there's no update. Nothing has happened in the last decade. And I'm running this really old software on this router. Dude. Uh, I've, got, I've got no idea what's actually using my connection. So I, someone needs to help me get hooked up with some serious router gear. Are you running Spotify by any chance? Uh, well, that is actually interesting. It, it is open here, but it is not consuming any data of note because I am actually looking at my uh, network monitor. No, but you know that Spotify has a sort of store and forward peer-to-peer network that if you don't, uh, if you turn that off, you might find that it's, or, or just take a look in your performance monitor. Yeah, I was looking at performance monitor and, and this is the thing, like all the tools I have to try and find the data use on the client says that nothing's using it. That may just ah. be that my connect- connection is crap. <laughs> Let's now, not rule that out. So what do you use for a connection anyway? Uh, in Australia, it's all well, it's basically, you know how you get two cans and you get the string. <laughs> that is what it feels like. <laughs> two, I thought it was so, a billy, but okay. Two cans it, it is of a billy. <laughs> two cans of Foster's beer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, we have ADSL too, but the, the, the problem I've found is that down here, my up speed is currently a quarter of a megabit yeah. per second. You know, and, and that is just that is just insane. Like, I, I have to do a lot of stuff where I sync things via Dropbox, videos via Dropbox, things like pool site content. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and you, it, they the A in ADSL is heavily A for you, and it, and the uh, and the real problem with ADSL, the technology is your distance from the CO is really important as in terms of what actual bandwidth you get. The long the longer your particular wire is, the the, the worse it works. Um, so when you're talking about, you know, got a 10-year-old router, are you really talking about your Wi-Fi access point? Well, there's really two things. And I'm actually not far from the exchange. I'm about 700 meters from the exchange. That's good, so yeah. Get, one thing is that the, the internet connectivity is poor and there's, there's sort of limited control I have over that. The other thing is internally my router, in fact, I've got two routers. I've got two different hotspots, uh, are just very, very old. I have no idea of what is using my, my preciously limited bandwidth. And that they just have simply never been updated. I, I need a good update. Wow, yeah. that is ironic, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, the cobbler's children have no shoes. <laughs> uh, so, and and if I can make a recommendation, uh, I switched up to the WRT nineteen hundred AC. Yep. By the recently spun off Linksys, 
uh, day and night, my friend. A yep, much really. better class of firmware, a much better class of router, just, you know, a proper guest network so people don't have access to your whole network when they're, when they use your Wi Fi. Uh, just a hundred percent. And if you really, you, I, I bought two thinking I was going to need two to cover my house and found out I only needed one. So I would get one, but it has a proper mesh mode so that if you do decide you need the second one, it actually understands there's two of us here and how to hand nice. off. Properly. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm about to move house and I'm going to have to set a whole bunch of stuff up again. I think part of that is just going to be a nice, clean router setup. Yeah. You might want to just send me a note when you're getting ready and let's go over some floor plans. If you're, I have pages. Awesome. Sounds good. I'm that guy. So we can, we can, <laughs> we can work through all, right all of that stuff. It's certainly, it's the, the, the problem today is the $50 router is basically the same as the 10 year old router. If you're mm. willing to spend $250 on a router, you will get a magical piece of art. Yep. And for something we use every day and is important yeah. to us, like spend the money. It makes everything else better. Yeah. This is livelihood, you know, so that it has to be good. Well, and, and a proper five gigahertz as well. So you can off, uh, offload the devices, understand that up to that other frequency set and da 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 da. It's like good routers are good. Yep. Uh, and not sold, that expensive. Sold. You have barely put a dent in that five grand to switch up to all modern networking gear. I got some money left for teledodonics. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's going to be the word of the day, I think. I'm not even going to say it. Nope. <laughs> nobody needs yeah because otherwise you know somebody like Guy Barre will make a song about it exactly so let's not let's not even say those words all right we gotta we gotta dive back into this thing i guess to some degree i don't know how much more of a story there is to tell I've, the the actions of the company to me are fascinating uh because i presume there's going to be a class action suit you know yeah technically the company's still operating I know I, I I sort of made this announcement earlier in the show. It's like this company's dead, but it's not. I guess the question is, will it actually die? Look, I, I don't see how it can survive for multiple reasons. And one is that clearly this is just a very expensive exercise just dealing with the breach. Yep. Uh, they are paying security people huge amounts of money to, to look into what's going on. They are inevitably losing revenue because, let's face it, their entire business model was built on discretion. That This is what they sold, a discrete service. E even their entire it, it's not even a logo, but their their action is the the whispering finger in right. front of the mouth. You'd see well, the CEO doing this the whole time. The question is, how many people are still going to that site? Like, how dumb do you have to be? Interesting, you should ask. So, <laughs> so they uh, <laughs> well, let me tell you how dumb <laughs> they they uh, made a press release recently. So that they their press releases all seem to be about defending themselves as opposed to looking after the victims of it. Of course, and yes. In the press. Well, you know, we, we say, of course, but some companies have done a reasonably good job of trying to support victims. I mean, things like offering identity protection very right, early on. Sure. We, we well, and, and I, I was a Stratfor customer when Anonymous breached Stratfor, and Stratfor went to the mats for their customers, you know, to their credit. They yep. really did. They signed us up for a security service. They left the site down while they made sure everything was locked down properly, like... I have more. I came out of that with more respect for Strat for a little bit of a different business and a little bit of a different business ethic too. I, I mean, totally agree. You know, the, these guys weren't exactly, you know, providing a, a life critical service, or maybe they were, but you know, they certainly didn't have the product people thought they had. 
Well, it, you know, it is just different, and I, I would, I suspect that Avid Life actually has access to a lot more money than what Stratfor did. Uh, yeah. They certainly, uh, certainly had much larger revenue. I can't remember exactly what Stratfor's was, but I don't think it was the hundred million plus no. per year sort of amount. So, you know, there's there's that, but I, I think, to be honest, maybe one of the angles that's worth touching on that we don't see covered a lot is just how impactful our technology decisions as professionals uh, can have on individuals. So uh, I found some of the messages I was getting really, really interesting. So I've I've got messages here. And in fact, I did a blog post, uh, something along the lines of, here's what Ashley Madison customers have told me. Right. And, you know, I'm hearing messages. So so here's one here. It says, uh, so I got a call from our church leaders yesterday saying my husband's work email was on Ashley Madison. So you've got... Church leaders or other community influencers searching for people's presences online and then telling them, or in this case, telling their wives. Wow. Which I found- When is that a good idea? Like, that's incredible. But, you know, it's it's actually an old moral dilemma. If somebody comes to you, a friend of yours, and says, I'm cheating on my spouse, and this friend, you know, you know them both, and this friend says to you, you know, what do you do? Do you tell the spouse? Do you tell? Do you talk to the person? Yeah, but that's being st- foisted into a dilemma, not of your own co- account. That's Somebody it. from that's this it. church, without technical skill, I expect, string searched through all the data from Ashley Madison of all of the email addresses that they had of members of their church, found matches, may or may not have qualified the data in any useful way, and then chose not to share it with the people that actually have the email addresses, but with their spouses. That is sick. Yeah, you're right about that. And I clearly wasn't defending them. But it is a, it, it's a new twist on an old dilemma, that's for sure. So your, your stuff some of the, is out there. Some of the other interesting things as well, looking at it from a, a more innocent perspective, is I had a, a number of women email me. And I, I have no reason to, be, to believe that, that, that this wasn't the case. But a number of people said, I signed up to Ashley Madison because I was worried that my husband was having an affair. And I wanted to effectively stalk him and, and figure out if this was happening or not. Uh, and yes, he was having an affair and this was years ago. And because of it, we got divorced, which is obviously very traumatic. And now I am implicated as being a member because my account was on there. Oh, wow. And I, I think it's, it's really, really important for people to remember. And in fact, this is why I wrote that blog post. It's important to remember how many different reasons there were for people having accounts. Right. Uh, a, a lot of other people, in fact, an ex-colleague of mine, and you really want to get an email from an ex-colleague saying, hey, I was on Ashley Madison. Um, so yeah. he was on there during a period of his life where he was single. And, you know, I mean, this is a this is a reasonable thing to do, to say, look, I, I'm a single person and I'm looking to meet people. And, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of how salacious the site might actually have been, he was a single guy. And right. now he's got a wife and kids and he's implicated as being an adulterer. So it's really important for people that, that are passing judgment to remember how many different reasons there were for people to be on the site. Yeah, and the time matters. Yep. It, it does. And, and this is part of the problem with these public searches as well because they lack context. Yep. So you know right. that someone is on there and you don't know why. Now, on, on the other end of the spectrum, one of the other messages I got here says, uh, so this guy is, is saying what would be impossible to explain away and what I would feel most guilty about is the very detailed personal intimate information about my wife shared with strangers during my erotic chats. Mm. And you look at that and go, wow, it's, it is, 
it is really hard to have much sympathy for you. As, as much as I think people have the right to privacy, seeing that sort of thing, like that's hard to take on board. Yeah. But in the, in the end, it's like you don't have the same way we defended the free speech of neo-Nazis. We don't have to agree with them. Free speech is more important than any given twit. This is a security breach, and it doesn't matter how repugnant it is. It's still a security sure breach. Sure is, yeah. Ned, is there anything that we haven't talked about in terms of what we know about how vulnerable they were or possible ways that this could have happened and you know, in how maybe a, your business might suffer the same fate? I don't mean yours, yeah, but, Troy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I was hoping that. that. The hypothetical. Um, I, I look. I think more than anything, it, it just sort of reiterates the the point about about impact. So these incidents can be enormously serious, and it look most businesses are not going to have as big an impact as with Ashley Madison. And we've seen some big hacks. I mean, something like Adobe that was 152 million records. Yeah, way bigger. You hack. Know, there were five times as many people in that. But people weren't going out and literally committing suicide as a result of their Adobe account being exposed. Right. And that has happened with this Ashley Madison breach. So uh, one one other angle on here, which is kind of interesting, and I, I think you sort of started going there a bit earlier, Carl, was around the, the legitimacy of the service in terms of was it actually a, a legitimate hookup site with men and women all looking to get together? Right. Or was it perhaps a bit fabricated. And and once the data is live, you can start to draw some really interesting conclusions. So th- there's been a lot in the news about the fact that a lot of the women were fake. Right. So, so there wasn't actually real women. 95% well, were, or something like that, yeah. Well, that's it. There, there were some. Uh, and I have had one or two messages from women who's, who were legitimately on there, mm-hmm. you know, for the stated purpose. But what's really interesting is looking at things like the really, really high propensity of women that signed up from IP address 127001. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. now, what, what is wrong s- with this picture? So they, yeah. they all worked there. So, so there is that. There are a lot of women with first name Ashley, last name Madison, yeah. which is also odd. Very, uh, very coincidental. Hmm. So there, because, there's a, you know a what lot it is? Of- you know what it is? Those are all the programmers that were testing it out. <laughs> introduction <laughs> with having chats with men yeah yeah it's uh and this is sort of part of the interesting thing and and you know avid life have come out and said no look this is all crap and you know, there are actually 1.2 women per men having active chats in you know recent times but I, I suspect that what the data is doing is confirming our our social beliefs in terms of what sort of demographic actually uses this sort of service mm. Right. Well, they sort of, you know, the question, and I don't know there's any way to actually answer this, is how many actual affairs have been facilitated by this application? Hmm. Yeah. You know, now, dear that, as that, I that can tell, at best it was a chat site. You just really didn't even know who you were chatting with. Well, so, you, yeah. And, and the reason I'm hesitating is, it's an interesting question because that sort of goes to whether or not the, the, the stated objective of it was fulfilled for people. And actually, there, there is a, a, some degree of commentary saying that, uh, that there was a service that you could pay for which would guarantee you an affair 
And the, the conjecture, allegedly, all the caveats in there, is that Avid Life uh, were actually paying prostitutes in order to fulfill those stated objectives. So that, you know, they would, you know, for example, charge you a thousand bucks and that's your guarantee that you're going to have an affair. Uh, and then they'd pay someone to go and, and have that affair with them for, uh, assumably, some amount less than $1,000, and therefore the, you know, the guarantee has been met. Oh, look at that. I just found a news bulletin. Tom Cruise was behind this. <laughs> 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 but it was when he was a kid in the 80s. There you go. Um, Zing. So, the, I mean, I, I, I went on the Ashley Madison site, and I'm looking at their affair guarantee program. If you don't find someone within three months after purchasing the affair guarantee, we'll refund you the amount you paid. There you go. That, that, you know, you just don't I, see that guarantee on many websites, do you? <laughs> you know, that one is unique. You know, I, I forgot to wear my I'm not on Mashley Addison T-shirt today, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that were just like, whew, I just got instant brownie points with my spouse because I wasn't on there. <laughs> but uh, So I don't really have any experience or idea what these things are, but it just seems to me that aren't there a lot safer, easier ways than uh, an online, you know, thing to, to go about <laughs> satisfying your needs? Uh, I, I could Guys. take that in two, two ways, but you know, one one way might be the, the old fashioned go to a bar and meet someone. Uh, there's always that, so that's uh, that that's probably less likely to get your data spread all over the internet. This is three happily married guys talking about how to have an affair. I know, well, I don't know, you know, I'm just saying it's, because we don't it's know. <laughs> Honestly, we don't know. <laughs> seems to we me, really like, don't know. <laughs> seems to me like uh, you know it attracts the level of uh, intellect that it. Uh, whatever am I trying to say? But we have I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, nope. if, if, uh, if I probably I was, shouldn't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> probably shouldn't even try. Uh, moving on. <laughs> if, 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 I was, <laughs> if I was actually looking to to go out and and all right, maybe the more generic way of looking at this is is. Uh, privacy of identity online. But if I was actually going to go out and try and use one of these services, it's interesting now to think about how would I do this once we have seen all the data points that link someone together. So, right. you know, we've seen things like IP addresses are stored and many people will either have static IP addresses or IP addresses that tie them to a very specific location. And even so, if they don't, you can, uh, for the under the right conditions, you can ask an ISP who is using this IP address at this time. Mm -hmm. Certainly exactly. only for legal reasons. It requires a court order, but the bottom line is that data exists. Your wife's not going to get that, but the cops will. So no. that leads you down to the point of, okay, well, you know, there, there are VPNs. And, of course, there are VPNs that don't store logs, and there are those that do. So, yeah, that, that is one thing. The other thing, of course, is uh, throwaway email addresses. So there are that you can just go and sign up anything on a Gmail account. You could go and use Mailinator or something like that, which gives you a temporary account. But clearly, for the sake of anonymity online, your primary email address is not such a good idea. The, the other one that was interesting is is the, the payment records. So there are a lot of people that signed up with fake or obfuscated uh, email addresses, so, so things I just make up, in order to protect their identity, but then they would pay with their credit card and the payment records got leaked and linked back to them. So then you're starting to go, all right, well, you know, is, is, there, is there an option for the likes of Bitcoin, which, of course, is not entirely anonymous, but it gets you a lot closer than a credit card? Better, uh, or yeah. are, there, are there other facilities that would allow payment fulfillment that doesn't actually link back to the identity? Because 
those things of financial records tend to have pretty good paper trails. They need to. So, I mean, there's so many reasons why financial records need to have great paper trail. That, that's the way it works. And of course, that's the argument for, for the likes of cryptocurrency as well. Uh, so you start to look at all these different points that join you back together. There's, there's GPS data there. Now, I'm not sure if that GPS data was captured from device or whether it was uh, implied from IP address slash address that people entered. But, but now you're sort of starting to go, okay, well, could the device itself actually be passing my location on as well? So mm. it's just interesting how many different single independent data points actually link back an identity, even for those who actually tried to obfuscate it. Right. So, I mean, there are basic steps, and I think everybody knows they're can think of them about using not using primary email accounts, using an anonymous payment system. Uh, even the, from the device perspective, for some degree, that would be a smart thing to do. But uh, I don't know. Mm. I think I think counseling is a better choice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Probably yeah. Right. In, in this in this case, maybe maybe see marriage counselor. Um, yeah. And, and of course, with all of these things as well, it, it's it's this old adage of security where you're talking about who you're actually trying to defend against and how much effort should go into doing that. And right. I, I think things like the IP address was a perfect example. If you're trying to defend against your wife, then, you know, using something like uh, a dynamic IP address may be just fine. Uh, if you're trying to defend against the government, well, then that's not going to get you far. Right. Which is a different, a different set of problems anyway. And, you know, Americans have a particularly very unusual viewpoint on all of that compared to most other countries, but it's an interesting problem. Mm. Uh, you've been absolutely in the center of this whole thing for quite a while, uh, and your website took a beating. How did oh, yeah. you survive? With the power of Azure in the cloud. Yeah, <laughs> nice answer, man. So this is the so, good news uh, story? You stayed up through is- all of this? Yeah, yeah. Not only did I stay up, I had one hundred point zero 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 percent uptime through all of this, according to New Relic. So th- this is good. We can talk about technology rather than the salacious side of things. Last five uh, so, minutes of the show. Why not? So he- here's the stats. Uh, at peak, I saw about ten thousand simultaneous users. Wow. This is uh, ASP.NET MVC Web API all running on Azure uh, web application platform as a sh- uh, as a service predominantly using table storage to store the 220 million odd records I've got in there at the moment. Right. Uh, those table storage lookups take uh, as fast as four milliseconds to search through 220 million records. They they cost just about nothing. And when I say just about nothing, I mean, the, the price of table storage is just ridiculous. Like you, it is yeah. single dollar figures per month for hundreds of millions of records and large, large amounts of traffic. Yep. I also use the SQL Azure Pass service, and that is um, that also went extremely well. So it's there's some basic relational database stuff I do with that. So yeah, I, I saw a peak of about ten thousand simultaneous users. I saw a fifty eight thousand percent traffic increase in twenty four hours, which was pretty crazy. Wow. Uh, I, over about three days, I had uh, around about four million page views, uh, and I think that translated to about seven million requests because there are a lot of API hits and things as well. And the whole thing over this three days in particular, it was really crazy, over and above my normal costs. And this was at times scaling out to uh, 10 simultaneous instances of a medium-sized uh, Azure web server. The whole thing cost me 130 bucks, which is <laughs> wow. ridiculous. Awesome. And, and you know, how it was really cool. How did you know when to scale? What were you, what were you, how were you monitoring that? 
Well, the computers worked it out, so I've got auto scale. Uh, and, oh, so they I just mean, turned like, it on. You just said it to do what you think is right. Yeah. So one of the things I learned really early on with scaling Azure is let it scale as far as it can possibly go. Because um, one of the, there was a big piece of press early on. I can't remember what incident it was, but I got up in the morning and I was running on uh, a, a sort of a small instance of the Azure web server, and I had my auto scale set to max out at three, so it didn't cost me too much money. And I got up and I'd been losing traffic and I, I went, well, like, why? Because it is it is fractions of a cent per minute to, mm. to run this thing. Like, why didn't I just let it go to 10, got up in the morning, found I was at like a dollar out of pocket and, and then decided what to do. Right. So what I do now is I've always got auto scale set to, to 10, which is the max you can get uh, by default. So it'll scale out as far as it needs to. For this incident, because I just didn't know how crazy it was going to go, I, I scaled up as well, and I changed it from a, a medium to a large, and I went, okay, let's, you know, give me all the power that you've got, mm. and then magic happened. So I was like, in fact, I wrote this, uh, I wrote a, a rundown of how it all performs. So all the figures are on my blog. I was sitting on the chairlift because again, I was away on my, my snowboarding holiday. I'm sitting on the chairlift with an RDP session open on iOS, just watching how many servers are scaling out and, awesome. and watching the magic happen. And yes, it's still alive. It's still running. That's great. I'll put the phone away. I'll go for a snowboard. And and th- th- this is the, the crazy thing. And it was, it was like this George Jetson moment. It's like, I'm on a freaking chairlift controlling servers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> supporting millions and millions of people. Like, That's how awesome. cool is this? It's really yeah, it's cool. pretty cool. And in the end, it cost you a few hundred dollars. No, not a few hundred, like like a hundred and thirty dollars. Wow! You know that 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 is that is what it boiled down to. And that uh, and did, it, and how many larges been, did you end up with when you switched up to the large versus you got the ten mediums and then you switched over to the larges? Yeah, so it went up and down a little bit, and I've I've got the figures and, and all the graphs. So I basically, publish everything I have on my blog. Uh, it 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 went to ten. I think I went ten medium to begin with because the other thing is I run a lot of web jobs. Yeah. And the web jobs run on that web infrastructure. So regardless of your traffic, if you've got a lot of high load web jobs, that can consume uh, some cycles. So I'm using web jobs to do the original data import as well. And there's uh, there's again there's a lot of info on my blog about how I do that. But uh, I just went okay. I want to get this data in as fast as possible. So just just give me all of them. <laughs> give me all the servers you can. And then I let things auto scale, and it was it was often fluctuating around sort of four to five uh, large instances. But what I found is that my it's really really hard to get auto scale right when you're just scaling based on CPU utilization, yeah, and also HTTP queue length, and you don't have a lot more control of scale in Azure over other attributes, and. The, the reason I have uh, 100% uptime is because I'm scaling way too aggressively. And on the one hand, you go, okay, that's wasting money. On the other hand, you go, I just served like seven yeah, million. The money you're wasting is what twenty dollars? Yeah. It, it, like, is it even worth my time to try and be more efficient? Right. Because yeah. it's my, just my experience no with scaling cloud, and I'm not just talking Azure, but AWS and so forth. When we've actually been looking at it for how we're going to survive this weekend, we just over-provisioned the snot out of it because right. it just mm. wasn't worth it otherwise. You know, the funny thing is back in the dot-com boom, we did that with hardware too. Yep. Right? Because in the end, hand. the cost of the gear was so low compared to the cost of the product. Yeah, yeah. Troy, that is a one bright moment of success in this nasty story, and but it, it really says a lot about Azure and, uh, and about how it, how it works. 
Man, uh, this has been um, enlightening. Yeah, and you know, it's not the it's not the doom and gloom that I usually feel when I talk to you on these shows. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good thing. I think okay. so. Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Our reality sucks sometimes, you know. Mm. All right, Troy. Thanks a lot. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, fellas. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.